Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael from Nothing But The Truth. It's January 3rd, 2015. And once again, we're going to start with the headlines from yahoo.com. Some people feel that Yahoo means they're taking the mick out of us, and others feel it's even worse. They might be disgracing our family father. Uh, .com, I strongly feel, means Catholics own media. Why do I say that? Let's start out with the headlines. Headline number one, Turkey gives go-ahead for first new church in century. Turkey's Islamic-rooted government has authorized the building of the first church in the country in nearly a century, officials said Saturday. The church is for the tiny Syriac community in Turkey and will be built in Istanbul suburb. And it's from AFP. And if you want to know about that Syriac community, they're mostly Roman Catholic. Um, Article 3, Pope Francis brings all religions together. The concept of one denomination raises concern. This is from the Inquisitor. Let's see. Uh, this uh, Article 7, I want to read this because I used to be a Mormon. Uh, experts track the top uh, 10 ups and downs of Mormon growth. And that's from the Salt Lake uh, Tribune, and it's got a picture of two young men with their um, black pants and white shirts and ties and a little name tag. And believe it or not, one day, I, in the past, uh, I was one of those, and I actually served my mission in North London. <laughs> How things have changed. Okay, um Let's see. Okay, this looks about like Article 12, baby. Catholic Diocese of um, Riley breaks ground on $41 million cathedral. Well, we know where the money's at. Uh, Catholic Diocese of Riley, it's like North Carolina, broke ground Saturday on cathedral that will seat about 2,000 people. And that was from W. Uh, so channel WTBD. Um, maybe I'd get one more. Well, that's kind of interesting, but it's it would be an interesting to look to see how many of these folks are connected with Rome. Uh, the Senate's 46 Democrats got 20 million more votes than its 54 Republicans. And it's from Vox.com, and then it got a picture of uh, Joe Biden swearing him in. And let's see, maybe one more. Well, uh, Boston seat 
the seat of Boston's Catholic power gives way to other pursuits. New York Times, the House on the Rise has, <clears throat> excuse me, long been a symbol of Catholicism in Boston when it was built. And we can go on and on for that. And I think I proved my point there. And with that, I've, um, we have a special guest tonight, uh, Nicholas Arthur, and um, he's a very busy man. <laughs> and he's he's been generously generously has uh, offered his time this evening to talk with me about uh, a chapter of. 24 of Matthew, the Olivet Discords, and um, I have had quite a bit of challenge trying to understand it. I've grown quite a bit, but I'm so grateful that I have somebody who spent more time studying this particular topic and is willing to come on the show and talk with me about it. I feel that it will be a learning experience not only for me, but for those who will, who are listening to the show and who will listen to it in the future. Um, and uh, I think the best thing to do is Nicholas, uh, could you introduce yourself and, and uh, all the many projects that you're involved with, and then we'll go from there. If you're okay, ready. well, of course, Nicholas Arthur, uh, funny spelling, N-I-C-K-L-A-S. Uh, Arthur is spelled uh, the way it always is. Uh, and I have a broadcast that I've been doing well for almost 20 years now. It's called Cross the Border. That's C-R-O-S-S, Cross the Border. And my website is crosstheborder.org. I've been teaching the Bible uh, on on broadcast uh, since about 1996. And I have, uh, well, in that time, I've changed my views on a lot of things, uh, and especially regarding prophecy and uh, what I call, I lovingly call left-behind eschatology. And uh, basically, I've left it behind. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Michael asked me to come on, so he wanted to talk about uh, Chapter 24. So, well, let's talk about that. Uh, we begin Matthew 24 at uh, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said, See ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So you got the picture. This is Jesus and his disciples. And it's not Jesus and me. It's not Jesus and the multitude on the side of the mountain. It's just Jesus and his disciples. And apparently a few of his disciples thought Jesus would be pretty impressed with the buildings of the temple because they, want, they came to show him the buildings of the temple. And he briefly... Nicholas? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we're, this, we're, we're trying to figure out how to do this, so this is our first time together, but I want to ask you a question, if it's all right. Go ahead. Uh, and I think it, it supports what you're saying, but I, I, how important in an understanding Matthew 24 is to realize that Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples then, and because, you know, there's an awful lot of, including myself, that uh, people think that it's, it's all about us. Let's put it that way. 
Well, yeah. I mean, that's part of the key to understanding Matthew 24 is understanding who Jesus is talking to uh, when he's talking and, and who he is addressing when he says different things. But the text reveals that for us. Uh, the problem is uh, that if you read the new versions, instead of uh, ye and whosoever, they just have the word you. So a lot of the newer translations, uh, they strip the meaning out of the text and you can't get the full meaning. And then a lot of people, because you know they're, they're not schooled in, in uh, King James English, which is actually written at an eighth grade level, the King James Bible is, and people think, well, you know, I don't want to have to read all those these and thous. Certainly must be easier if I can read a newer translation. Uh, unfortunately, the newer translations are not easier to read. They are not easier to understand because they're written at a higher grade level. So they're actually more difficult to understand. If you stick to the King James Version, you will get to understand these and the thous and the whosoevers and the yees. And basically, if you look them up, you can understand why they are different and why they are there. And there's a good reason. For instance, when Jesus says ye, okay, he doesn't mean me. He doesn't mean you. He only means the people that he is actually addressing in person. Okay, Thou is an individual. Because when we say how great thou art, you know, we're speaking to the one and only God, right? So, and when he says whosoever, well, then that would include us. That means anybody, anywhere, at any time. So there's a very important reason for ye and thou and whosoever in the text. And we need to, under, to understand the text, you need to understand uh, the meanings and why those different terms are used, whereas in the newer versions, they just use the word you for everything. And that's a little more confusing. Well, thank you for doing that. I know that we're going to read it again, and I think we should read it again to emphasize this because yeah, well, yeah, there is a lot of there is there is a, a lot of when it comes to the grammar of, of you know the King James Bible, there's a lot of confusion. There really is, even to this day. But right. So okay. Yeah. I, go ahead. I'll I'll let you go. You can keep on reading or do whatever you want to do. But I just wanted to address that. I appreciate you doing that. So. Yeah. Uh, I I characterize my interpretation of the Bible as a historical grammatical interpretation, meaning that I pay close attention to the text, what it actually says. So that's the grammatical, the grammar, what we just talked about has to do with grammar. Uh, and historical, what is the historical setting? And so it's very important, like when he says ye, well that's historical, that has nothing to do with me today although I can learn from what he's saying to them. Okay, okay. so anyway, Jesus is there, they're there at the temple. The disciples comment how impressed they are with the buildings. Jesus kind of prophesies right there, and he says, See ye not all these things. There, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. Now, Matthew records two questions asked of Jesus when they reach the Mount of Olives. Okay, so here's the picture. They're on the Mount of Olives. As they're leaving, he makes this prophecy. 
that there shall not be left one stone upon another. They walk over to the Mount of Olives, and they're going to sit down on the Mount of Olives and have a private conference. This is Jesus and his disciples. Okay? I think it's kind of important to understand what's going on here. So they're at the temple, and they walk over to the Mount of Olives. And Matthew records two questions asked of Jesus' disciples when they reach the Mount of Olives. The first question is differentiated by the phrase, these things. And the author uses this key throughout the text to, to separate the two questions. This is very important to understanding. Um, now, in my Bible, I've highlighted the first question and direct answers in yellow. And the second question, I've, uh, I've highlighted in blue. And I also have a video on my website, crosstheborder.org, if anyone wants to go there and check it out and you can see what I'm talking about. Now, the word, the phrase, these things, also begs the question, what things? The answer is in the previous verse, the buildings of the temple. So the buildings of the temple were standing when Jesus was there. And this doesn't include the outer wall or retaining stones uh, of the temple mount itself, which many are still standing today. Jesus knew what was going to happen in 70 AD. The Romans burned the temple, and all of the gold overlay melted and seeped between the stones of the temple itself, so that the Roman soldiers turned over every stone of the buildings to extract that gold, completely fulfilling Jesus' prophecy to the letter. Now, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, it says in uh, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately and, and saying, tell us, question number one, when shall these things be? Now, these things is referring to the things in the former verse. Jesus says, see not all these things. And that was the buildings of the temple. And the second question, what shall the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? So question number one is, when shall these things be? In other words, when shall there not be left here one stone upon another of the antecedent buildings of the temple? And question number two is plainly stated, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the Temple Mount where Jesus briefly comments on the coming destruction of the buildings there. After they travel the short distance to the Mount of Olives, they engage in a private conference where the two questions are asked. In verses 15 through 22, Jesus directly answers the first question in relation to, the, to events including the annihilation of Judea, the Temple, and the Hebrew nation culminating in the 70 AD desolation by addressing the disciples directly, quote, ye therefore shall see, unquote. He then broadens the scope to, quote, them which be in Judea, unquote, with instructions to follow the, the signs for that generation. So Matthew 24, 15, when ye there, when ye, okay, talking to the disciples, it's ye, therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Now he's telling the disciples by the phrase ye there, 
that they are going to see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So he says, when you see it, when you, when ye, therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Now, parenthetically, our author inserts, whoso, that's everybody, that's me, you, anybody, anywhere, at any time, whoso readeth, let him understand. And then he goes, then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. So also, uh, along with the disciples who he's talking to, the ye, them which be in Judea are going to see it too, and they're instructed to flee to the mountains. Let, and he continues those instructions, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe to them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, you notice there's an urgency in the things that Jesus is saying, which Matthew records for us. Okay? He says, if you, if you see this abomination of desolation, if you see Jerusalem compassed about by armies, that means it's time to flee. Okay? Now, they had, they had 40 years from the time that Jesus spoke this word to get ready. So time would go by, and the whole idea was that you want to get make your preparations so that you don't have to, you know, worry about grabbing the babies and running or not being able to return back from the field to get your clothes or worrying about your flight being in winter or on the Sabbath day. What he's really saying is that you need to prepare well in advance before you see these things. You need to prepare to leave Judea. That's what he's telling them. Right. Could you, like, uh, could we go over a little bit about what happened in 70 AD? Because believe it or not, there's a lot of folks out there that have no idea. (laughs) You know, one of the things, in order to understand this chapter, there has to, like you mentioned earlier, there has to be some understanding of history okay, as well. Let's, what happens? Let's, let's talk. Of, he says, Jesus calls it, there will be great tribulation uh, that was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall ever be. Now, a lot of people, they say, well, you know, that has to be about the end time because they didn't have nuclear bombs then. Well, you know what? I don't care if it's nuclear bombs or not. When, when trouble and tribulation and death and destruction come, you don't care what it is. You might pray for a nuclear bomb so you can just be vaporized and have it over with, okay? Sure. So when Jesus is saying this, it does apply to the day, to the, year, to the time that preceded and the siege that happened at Jerusalem. And it, now, was awful. it was an awful experience, too. It was horrendous, evil yeah. beyond belief. And, uh, yeah, it was beyond belief. It, it, was, it was so horrible that they had... They sieged Jerusalem because it was the last place 
that the Jews held out. The Jewish nation, it was the last place that they held out. And they were, the Romans were so wrathful against the Jewish people. And this was, this goes back to Daniel's prophecy, um, you know, the, the Daniel 70 weeks prophecy, but we won't, we won't go there yet. But Daniel, Daniel foretold this time, and so did Jesus. Okay. And it was, it was awful. They were, they were, Jesus warned them, okay? He said that the time is coming that you will have to flee because if you don't flee, they're going to kill you with the sword or they're going to take you captive and sell you as a slave to the nations. And that was the terrible time they were in. That's why they were warned to to leave Judea, and they had 40 years to do it, and the Holy Spirit working in them. If you remember, it's recorded, uh, I can't remember exactly where, but it says that, that all of the disciples came together and they sold their possessions, and they had all things in common. Remember that? Yeah, but that in Acts. Yeah. Acts, Acts. Okay. Uh, so a lot of, now the, the, new, the new thought is, well, they were practicing socialism. Well, far from it. Okay? Because, you know, when, when, uh, when the, the two that conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit got dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit, it wasn't because they didn't give all. It was because they lied. Because what, what, did the, what did Peter say? that You could have kept everything, but why did you conspire to lie to the Holy Spirit? So there is no compelled. They, they could have sold their stuff separately and left and followed Jesus' instructions. But it was, a, it was a bad investment if you had property in Judea. So the thing is they were selling their properties, and the church was planning on leaving Judea because of the terrible times. And when, when they finally got to the siege, it was just like, it was like a, a doing it over again. It was like deja vu with the Babylonian siege. Okay? Uh, when the, the, the temple was in Judea and Judah and uh, Jerusalem were destroyed the first time, it was like it's happening all over again now with the Romans. Okay? The siege went up, and the city was surrounded by Romans. When you see Jerusalem compassed about by armies, that's what Jesus said. Okay? They had 40 years to flee, the Holy Spirit prompting them to sell their belongings and get out. And by the time it was done, they had a, they had a crucifix works like a picket fence around the city and they were crucifying. If you tried to escape the city, you ended up on that crucifix fence. Okay, that crucifix works. And it was, it was just, it was an awful time. I mean, it was even worse than the Babylonian siege. Josephus' uh, account is that uh, what 1.2 million perished during that siege. That lasted what uh, three and a half, almost four years, whatever it was. Uh, and he also uh, apparently that they there was no recorded quote unquote Christian that that died during that siege but because they were all warned to flee yeah because they listened to this one. yeah they, <laughs> they heeded they actually heeded to this he said you know um, there was go back to this uh, abomination of, you know of desolation uh, uh, Matthew twenty four fifteen 
And, you know, in parentheses, we talked about uh, whoso readeth, let him understand. Who is that? Is that us? Yeah. Who so? right. Well, anyone who reads, let them understand. That includes us, but it also includes them. Because we need to understand. Right. And, you know, I did a whole cha- chapter in my book on uh, the abomination of desolation. Uh, but basically, it's not something that's going to happen in the in the nether future of the left behind rapture eschatology. It's something that already happened. And I agree with you. And I've experienced yeah. myself uh, folks disfellowshipping with me because uh, I would not agree with them on the fact that it's a futuristic or something to do with the future. Right. It's past okay. Past. Well, here it is. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain. For all of the sins of mankind, you know, and and there, if people don't understand that after the veil in the temple was rent, when Jesus was said it is finished, and he offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, if people don't understand that when the Jews went back in there and they repaired the veil in the temple and they started to carry on animal sacrifice for sin. If they don't understand that that was an abomination, yeah. then they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand Daniel's 70th week. And they yeah. don't understand Daniel's 70th week. That was the abomination of desolation, or the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, God's mercy gave the Jews and the Christians 40 years to repent and get out. God's mercy on the Jewish nation. From the year that Jesus was crucified, about 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., 40 years. And, you know, if there's any time that deserves the, the title, the time of Jacob's trouble, to me, that would be it. Well, that makes sense. The 40-year period from the, from the crucifixion of the Messiah to the destruction of Jerusalem completely. Now they had 40 years to get out and at the end it says here at the end of this what I was reading here uh, if I can continue for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. And I believe this is the this is the Jewish world that we're looking at. This is the the Jewish world system that is coming to an end at the, with the 70 weeks. Because 70 weeks are determined for thy people Israel, for, the, for Jerusalem and the temple, the priest temple sacrifice system, and it was over at the end of the 70 weeks. The Jewish nation as a separate, set-apart nation, a set-apart holy nation to God, that time was finished at the end of the 70 weeks. Okay? Now, and at the end of this, this, uh, this part, it says in, in 24, uh, verse 22, it says, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, Jesus is saying this in advance of the 70 A.D. persecution of the Jews. Because unfortunately, the per- persecution of the Jewish religion and the Jewish people also included the main part of Christianity. Christianity 
in its infancy was a sect of Judaism. Correct. But for the elect's sake, those days were cut short so that God's elect, those people who accepted the Messiah, whether they were Jew or Gentile, would be, be saved so that they could spread the gospel to the nations. Now, a lot of people try to you know, apply that to the last days or coming up, but that doesn't make any sense because when Jesus returns, we're all going to be resurrected not raptured, resurrected. So the days don't need to be shortened for our sake. As a matter of fact, the Bible explicitly says that many of us, if not millions of us, are going to be martyred in the next 40 years. That's correct. And I, I, don't want, I hate to sound redundant, but I think it's necessary when talking about this subject. Uh, you know, uh, someone asked earlier today, could it possibly be a dualistic prophecy and of course you're addressing this right now but you, you know you look on nowhere in the mainstream media are you hearing what you're saying right now and when it comes to the internet and alternative media yeah, I mean there, there's a hand, there's like a handful of people actually speaking the truth about this right most people are mixing this up there I mean you hear that last one uh, uh, Matthew twenty four twenty two all the time justifying what's happening now you know and look the days are getting shorter and you know it's gonna it, they're using all these verses to ju- for some futuristic uh, I you know how I see it to be honest with you I see it as an opportunity to profiteer off our ignorance Honestly. well there are a lot of profiteers out there. And if I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe just a lot of people are deceived. That's why I feel it's so important that we talk about this and share it in as many different avenues and venues as we can, even if it's just a little rinky-dinky show like this, because, I mean, as you know, there's hardly anybody speaking the truth about this. They're, they're, this, as you've mentioned already in your video, in, um, this, this uh, chapter is... Um, used amazingly and uh if, if we don't understand this chapter i think it's it's not as important as daniel's 70th week but it's pretty important it's up there because you know if you don't understand this chapter i see even being used over and over again to manipulate us to confuse us to get us all off kilter to not really focusing on reality you know what i mean and um I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here, but I think you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it gets pretty lonely out here, but, you know, as I always say, is uh, obedience is mine and the results are his. So I just do what I'm supposed to do, and I let God worry about the results. Uh, he'll get the, the the truth to whoever he wants to get to, to however he wants to, you know. So that's going back to this, to so going back to this, just to solidify for anybody who listens to this, is there any way that what we just read, these last few verses from Matthew twenty-four, was it fifteen to uh, yeah, twenty-two? Twenty-two has anything to do with our time? Absolutely nothing to do with our time. But he says, "But pray ye." He's speaking to his disciples. I'm not the ye. I'm only the whoso of uh, Daniel of uh, verse 15. Other than that, I'm not included in uh, what Jesus is speaking here and the the things that are going to happen in that portion of the scripture there. 
okay. in his prophecy about what's going to happen, uh, culminating in the 70 A.D. destruction. And I agree with you. So I just wanted to make sure that people, anybody who listens to this, that they understand that. Because the masses are being deceived. So. Well, see, because if I, if I could see and say, well, yeah, there, it, it may be dual, then they say, well, I can go ahead and believe what I want to believe, and you can believe what you want to believe. But, you know, it, the, God's word isn't like that. There's no private interpretation. There's one interpretation that, that is the historical, grammatical interpretation. It's what the text says, what it plainly says when we pay attention to it and we turn off all of the preconceived nonsense that we've been programmed with uh, over the years. Like I said, I, you know, I used to, I grew up in, uh, in my Christian infancy. I, I grew up in, in uh, uh, the Calvary chapter when I started reading, you know, getting into the Bible. And they were totally sold out, you know, into the uh, counter-reformation eschatology oh, yeah. and the whole left-behind futurist scheme of things. It wasn't until in 1995 that I started uh, teaching and studying the Bible on my own, saying, okay, you know, I, I, if this is in there, i got to find it for myself because I can't go out and tell people this is in the Bible and it's not in there. I have to make sure it's there. And I, so I was looking for these things when I found out they weren't there, yeah. basically. Yeah. Because I thought, well, I got to know. I'm, gonna, I'm teaching the Bible. I got to know where it is, how it came, and how we come to this conclusion. But like I said, I couldn't find it, and I wrote in my book what I have found. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So, <laughs> praise the Lord that happens. All right. Well, we can move on if you want. And uh, but okay. Gonna... Yeah, we we got to where Jesus closes the section with the promise that the tribulation of that time, which they would see, would be shortened because it was necessary for the elect to survive to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the world. First century Christians were a sect of the Hebrew religion which was experiencing the wrath of the Roman Empire. This is why Jesus instructed his followers to flee Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, Like I said, many try to apply verse 22 to the days preceding the return of Christ. And I reiterate, it is not necessary for the elect to survive through the time that is to come until he returns because we will all be resurrected at that time. Yeah. And not to mention that the revelation explicitly states that many will suffer beheading for rejecting the mark of the beast. Now, if you move up to verses uh, 27 through 31, Jesus the conversation wanders to specifically address some points of the second question about his return and the end of the world. Remember, there's two questions, and Jesus is addressing both questions, and we need to use the text to separate them. And there are some very good keys in the text, uh, specifically in the text, to do that. So then he goes back to the general. And the the general is that Jesus is talking about things, general warnings, things that apply uh, to the church, you know, throughout the the entire end times. And when I say end times, I'm speaking from the time that Jesus showed up and is speaking these things until it returns. These are the last days. They've been the last days for 2,000 years. And 
What I haven't highlighted is what Jesus is addressing because it's applicable to all times, okay? He says, when he says, well, I'll just read uh, the, what he says about the future first. He says, for as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Uh, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Remember, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will be raised. Remember that part? Okay. He sends his angels with the sound of a great trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And that's the resurrection spoken of when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will be raised, and those who are alive and remain will be changed in the moment and twinkling of an eye, and they shall be caught up together to meet him in the air. That's the resurrection event. Okay. He okay. continues, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, put his forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Now these are just kind of, you know, sayings that you can apply to anything. You know, when you see the green leaves, the trees starting to bud, well, you know summer's near, right? So he's saying when you see the things that apply to whatever I'm specifically saying, know that the time is near for that. And it, then he, he says, verily I say unto you. Now he goes back and he says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So he's talking about that these things uh, be fulfilled in this generation. Now, you know, I'm not exactly sure what language was Jesus was speaking, although I believe he was speaking Hebrew. And we have here translated uh, from the Greek into the King James English. And the, the key term, our key is, is the term these things. And you, you can check this out for yourself. The term these things from the Strong's Greek 5023. Now, when you search for occurrences of the G5023, what I found is a universal indication to things present. So he could have said these present things might have been a clearer translation of the actual text that he was speaking. Okay, and you can you can search it for yourself. So it's a universal indication of things present, but never, and I mean never, when you search out this G2023, it is never used to reference things far off or belonging to a future generation. This rule of grammar is followed very closely in this chapter, as indicated by the introduction of these things, remember, in the first question. Uh-huh. And its inclusion in answers specific to this generation. Also notice the exclusion of the phrase, these things, in the second question, and all of those things which are specifically ascribed to Jesus' return and the end of the world. 
And to me, that is a very important key to understanding the text of, uh, of Matthew chapter 24. Now, Jesus continues and he says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. Now, of course, that's the day, of, the day and hour of his return. Okay? And specifically, the day and the hour. It doesn't say the year. That's important later on. He says, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Okay? That means that the man, Jesus, didn't even know. And God can do that if he wants to, you know? And he continues, but as, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He zeroes in on exactly what he's talking about and which question he's addressing at this time. He's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, his return. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, then two shall be in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord cometh. And I believe this is about the, talking about the resurrection, when the dead in Christ are raised first, then those who are alive and remain are changed, they will be taken, while whoever is not a part of the elect will be left behind, of course, at the resurrection event. And I don't call it the rapture, because I differentiate. I believe that rapture is, the, the whole word rapture is there to confuse us. And I believe it's part of a great delusion that has been planned by the master liar Satan himself. And I mean, because I used to believe the rapture and resurrection were the same thing, but the more I study this issue, the more I realize they are absolutely not the same thing. Rapture is a deception. It's part of a great deception. And there are three, some people have listed more, but there are at least three raptures. And they all have to do with some seven-year tribulation. And I'll say deception, because there is nowhere in the scripture that the resurrection has anything to do with a seven-year tribulation it, nowhere that it, sa- it is said to precede, uh, divide, or come at the end of a seven-year tribulation or c- seven-year period of any kind. Nowhere is the resurrection said to have anything whatsoever to do with Daniel's 70, 70th week, either in the text of Daniel chapter 9 or anywhere else in the Bible. Right. Well, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> um, and it, well, you know, and I, I'd like, you know, for your listeners to be able to read my book, and it's free. No one has an excuse. And it's an easy read, too. It's only about 120 pages. I mean, I, I packed this book full uh, with a lot of stuff in a, in, a, in a mere 120 pages. Now, by the way, we we did not even address that. What is the name of the book? Actually, folks, we're reading right out of the book right now. Um, and like you said, it's very short. And it's, I've been enjoying reading it. I, I find it it's very stimulating, and it's 
very thought-provoking, and I have a lot of questions still about Chapter 24 to talk about. But uh, we never talked about the name of your book. What's the name of your okay, book? Okay, well, I'll talk about it, and then you can ask me whatever questions you have left okay. about Matthew Chapter 24. Uh, the name of the book is, is well, I, I had hoped it would be controversial enough to get people's attention. It's called The Rapture Will Be Canceled. Okay? And that one of the chapters in the book, chapter two is, actually that's the title of chapter two of the book, The Rapture Will Be Canceled. And anyone can get a free e-copy or PDF, whichever you like, by going to my website, crosstheborder.org, that's C-R-O-S-S, crosstheborder.org, and there's a there's a tab up there that says free ebook. So you click on that tab, and you can uh, get the ebook free just by following the instructions on that page. Uh, also, if someone wants to buy the paperback, well, they can buy the paperback that's available on the get the book uh, tab. We also have some uh, some reviews there from re- other readers on the get the book page. So all you have to do is. Get it free. Read it free. You know, freely I've received, and I'm going to give it away free. That's very generous of you. Um, thank you very much. Uh, going back to page 62, the last uh, paragraph. Okay. It says, uh, Jesus then, uh, in a very con- um, conversational mode, approaches uh, general instruction, for now, this is the part I'm interested in. For the entire last day's era, okay, yeah. verses four uh, through fourteen and twenty-three through twenty-six. First of all, can you define for me what entire last day's era is? Okay. Well, the entire last day's era was from the time that Jesus was speaking, because Jeremiah said, uh, "In the last days." Uh, he was speaking about, in the last days, uh, he was speaking about the time that the Messiah would show up. Okay? And those are the days that we're living in. So the entire last days era is the time from, say, that 70 weeks uh, was finished, or the time that Jesus was speaking close enough, uh, until he returns again. Those are That's the entire last days era. Now, if you read verses 4 through 14 and 23 through 26 of, uh, of uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, you'll see, yeah, well, that does apply to the entire last day's era uh, from the time that Jesus spoke those words until he returns, and even now. Thank you for clarifying that, because I think that's, uh, <clears throat> that could be very, you know, for a lot of folks, the first time they see that or hear that, you know, what does he mean? Does he mean, you know, the but, you know, well, the, last, yeah. the very end of days, or is he talking about, you know, since what you just described, basically the last 2,000 years? Yeah, yeah, I write in the text. This section, In these sections, Jesus expresses conditions that are applicable to the entire end times, including the time from his ascension until he returns. Good. And so... Uh, so that so now let's go to some of those verses from four to fourteen because I have questions, uh, and I'm not trying to be controversial or anything. I'm really trying to understand. Okay, well, like verse you know. verse seven, and uh, if, if you get a chance, you've got access to the and Bible over it. Yeah, I'm going to open up Matthew twenty-four, 
and verse 7 have it right in front of me. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Yeah, can we stop right there? Okay. And I was saying nation shall rise against nation. Now tell me if I'm wrong or right. When I read that, I, I see a nation against a nation. Am I correct by that? Um, I think it's all plural. Is it all plural? Yeah, for nation shall rise against nation. And it, he expresses it as plural and kingdom against kingdom. He's basically saying the same thing twice, but he's letting you know that it's something that's going to be ongoing and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an ongoing thing. And, you know, this has been going on for 2,000 years. Nation is rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's going on today, and it has been going on for 2,000 years. Yeah. Again, because my, my mindset, I guess, you know, I've studied so much about Rome, Rome Catholicism, how Rome is so much an integral part of the New Testament. <laughs> you know? So when I see that, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is that Rome against Israel? Is that Rome against whether it's, you know, the Jewish nation until 70 A.D. or us? Well, yes, all of the above. You, you know? know what I mean? Yeah, it's all of the above. Okay. And this is an ongoing thing. Like I said, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, you know, in preceding verse, you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So just because you see nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and he says all these are the beginning of sorrows, he says they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted, but what does he say? But the end is not yet. So he says what he's saying is don't think the end is coming just because these things I'm listing here are happening around you. What he's telling them is to expect these things to be an ongoing condition of life on planet Earth until he returns. Sure. And you know, back in the kingdom against kingdom, uh, could that also be applicable to God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, these are. They might, I know it seems like simple questions, but. You're the first one I had a chance to actually talk about this, so I, I'm really, I'm really just asking these questions that run through my head. You know, what is it? Is it, is it, like you said, it, it can, it mean more than one thing. But um, you know, when we talk about well, yeah, it, you know, with with the emphasis, first nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, uh, it's definitely plural and in in, in in diversity. Uh, spiritual as well as physical. Yeah, it, it includes all of that. I would agree with that. And then uh, 9, verse 9, and, and you know, <clears throat> it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Uh, could that, you know, I, is that's applying not only is it applying to only the twelve apostles? I know this is probably saying, Mike, I've already told you this, but <laughs> go over it again if you don't mind. Is it only applying to the, the his apostles, his no, disciples well, the, or is he this is, it's, yeah, this is all, the beauty of the of twelve uh, two thousand years, you know. Yeah. yeah, this is the beauty of it. you notice it doesn't say ye. Right. It says you. 
and that means general. That includes us, and that includes, like I said, I apply this to everyone, because this has been going on to God's elect for the last 2,000 years, and it's going on today, and it will continue until he returns. They're delivering up God's people, his elect, to the afflicted. They're going to, they kill them. They hate us uh, for his name's sake, and it, it continues until he returns. Okay. And I'm sorry if these, a lot of these questions seem simple, but they, you know, it's not just for me. As I know there's going to be people who are going to listen to this. They're going to have these questions, and if they're addressed as we go, I know it's going to make their lives a lot easier, believe it or not. <laughs> and you might as well, if you look back, it, well, it used to be for you, you know what I mean? So um, absolutely, being redundant about these things and going over, and over these questions not only helps me, but will help others. Um, yeah, uh, and then verse 14, you know, we're talking about uh, the gospel. Uh, the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for witness uh, unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Um, What was Go my ahead. question? What's yeah, the question? Yeah, what's the question, Mike? Well, I think part of it was the kingdom part, going back to seven, and you know, this is you know the kingdom and oh, okay, kingdom. relating that to kingdom against kingdom. Yeah, part of it's that, and then other part is, um, what's the okay? Because a lot of folks have this question. Back at that time, prior to seventy A.D. and during those that four year period, was the gospel already? Preach to the whole nations, all the nations, all the world. You know, because you know, if you look at um, uh, where uh, Israel or Jerusalem was located, and that you know, Asia Minor, and being basically the center of all commerce and and trade, and you know, all these different nations are going in and out. Um, with you know, because now it will be asked, people will think of this. I know I did. Uh, is that referring to, and I know we've already mentioned that this is past 2,000 years, um, could it be both? That period of time and also our period? Uh, definitely. Um, let's see. What, oh, yeah, in all the world, right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, you know, a lot of people try to say, well, once we get the gospel preached in all the world, then Jesus has to come. That's kind of what you're referring to, right? Yeah. So they're wondering, when is that going to be, when is this commission going to be fulfilled and then Jesus can come? As, as if God didn't already have it planned in advance, the day and the hour, even though he's not telling us the day and the hour. Right. Um, well... I know that the elect had to survive the um, total annihilation of uh, Judea and the Hebrew nation in order to take the gospel to the world. That's why those days of oppression by the Roman Empire were cut short uh, before the, the Jewish people and all of the Hebrew sects, including the Christian sect, were totally annihilated because the Romans were pretty bent on destroying and wiping uh, Judaism the Jewish religion off the face of the earth. And like I said, that included Christianity. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but those days were cut short where they were going to uh, annihilate it. Um, this gospel of the kingdom. Now, I, I call my, my broadcast Cross the Border. My ministry is called Cross the Border. 
because that's what it's all about. It's about the kingdom of God. His kingdom is a kingdom that transcends all of the boundaries of the kingdoms of men. It's, it's the only kingdom that transcends all of the boundaries of the kingdoms of men. It's the only kingdom that will transcend our mortality and time itself. So it, and it is a real kingdom. When you say kingdom against kingdom, there's a kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. Uh, it's a holy nation. That's a, another phrase that we could apply to the elect of God as a holy nation uh, that, that is part of his kingdom over the whole earth. Now, that, the gospel of the kingdom is repentance. Uh, if you read earlier in Matthew, it says from that day that Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is a gospel of repentance. Now, the word repentance, do you know what that means? Well, well to, uh, yeah, I just threw me off. I think of some. Um, my mind just went blank. Yeah, you, you have. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you precisely what it means. Everyone has a, they, they have an idea of what it means in their spirit. They kind of know. Right. And so I, I like to define it. It comes it is expressed in two Greek words, meta, which means to change, you know, like a metamorph, someone who changes something that changes form. So it's meta, noeo. It means to change your mind. That's what repent means. It means So Jesus was going around, if you could understand Hebrew, and he was saying, change your mind, the kingdom is at hand. Now, if you heard someone say, change your mind, the kingdom is at hand, what would you think? You'd, you'd probably go, huh, what does that mean? I've got to go listen to this guy, right? Uh-huh. I mean, this was a radical message. Change your mind, the kingdom is at hand. Meta, change, noel, your mind, the kingdom is at hand. Well, what do we have to change our mind about? Well, for me, you know that you know that we're a sinner and that uh, we need a savior. And yes, Jesus we have to. <laughs> we have to change our mind about the things that are separating us from God, right. so that we can enter His kingdom. Is that plain enough? Sure. What's separating you from God? And damn, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to you right away. Everybody knows what it is—that thing in their life that that is separating them from God. If someone's not walking with God or they they walk, you know, they walk with church is marginal. And I say, what is that thing that is separating you from God? And you know what the Holy Spirit does immediately? He zeroes right in on that big thing that is separating them from God. And everybody knows what it is if something is separating them from God. And God says, you know, Jesus says, change your mind about that. Okay, and how do you change your mind? You come into agreement with God that that's an evil and wicked thing that's going to destroy you and keep you out of his kingdom. Very good. That's very without, good. without repentance, there is no forgiveness. That's why he says repent. He calls on everyone everywhere to repent. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of repentance. It's about changing your mind about those things that are separating you from God, allowing the Holy Spirit 
to do the first work that he does in any anyone's life. When the Holy Spirit, like I said, when I say what's separating you from God, the Holy Spirit says repent. He says change your mind about this thing so that you can enter into God's kingdom. So how do you cross the border into God's kingdom? You change your mind. You repent. You come into an agreement with God that his word is holy and it's just and it's true and it's good for you and it will yield the best result for your life and it will yield eternal life for you. And, you know, the problem is that people don't want to change their minds. And why don't they want to change their mind? Because they love the works of darkness. They love the creation more than they love the creator. They need to repent. They need to change their mind about those things that are separating from God. That's the only salvation. If you don't repent, if you don't change your mind, there is no forgiveness without repentance. There is a work that everyone must do, and the work is the work of repentance. And it is a lifelong work. Because, you know, when I say, what's separating you from God? And something, bing, goes up in someone's brain, and they know exactly what it is because the Holy Spirit just put it in their face. Okay? <laughs> so they work on that thing. And they try hard to do everything they can, and they, they go, I give up, God. I, I surrender this thing to you. And God takes it away from them. But guess what? There's that next thing. The next biggest thing. <laughs> and that's a lifetime thing of God refining you <laughs> in his refiner's fire and purifying you. And he says, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Hmm? What does that mean? Pick up, that. nobody wants, who wants, that doesn't even sound like fun, does it? No. <laughs> and it's not. And it's not. Fun. And it's not. But what you're doing, what is the cross? Why do you have to pick up your cross and follow him? When you change your mind, you're crucifying the deeds of the flesh, all of those things that are separating you from God. And if you stop crucifying the deeds of the flesh, if you lay down the cross and say, no, well, that thing I'm not going to change my mind about, guess where you are? You find yourself square outside of his kingdom. You just cross back out. You left the kingdom. See, because God is not a tyrant. It's, you know, the kingdom of God is not like, you know, communist China or Cuba where you cannot leave. It's not like East Germany in the Cold War days where you could not go through the wall and they'd shoot you if you tried to leave. God is not a tyrant. If you don't want to stay in his kingdom, if you don't want to change your mind about something, he's not going to force you. He's going to let you leave because he loves you. This is serious business. He, what did Jesus say? That any man loves his father, his mother, his brother, his children more than me, he's not worthy of me. He says, if you turn back from the plow, what's the plow? You know, it's walking that row of repentance and continuing to plow up that fallow ground and change your mind. Because if you turn back, you're not worthy of me. So it's a very serious business, and it's not an easy life, but we have all of the promises of God, and we have eternity, and God reveals those things to us so that we can keep our eye on the prize, that no, come what may, we, we cannot let go of that prize. We have to continue walking in his kingdom 
to the end of our mortality. Because if, if to be in his kingdom forever, to enter the resurrection, you have to be in his kingdom when your mortality comes to its end. Very serious business. Absolutely. The gospel of the kingdom. After, say, after hearing that, I feel <clears throat> guilty of asking these simple questions. <laughs> but, uh, but Ask any question you want. Okay. Well, I, th- I think these simple questions are important for others. And <clears throat> so back to, you know, excuse me, let me cough here. Okay. Matthew 24, verse uh, 14 again. Nations. Witnessing unto all nations. Is that geographical, you know, like what we'd look at in a map? You know, these nations are lined up, you know, drawn out lines and all that? Or are we talking about okay, well, people? Let, yeah, let me address that. Okay, it says, then shall the end come. Okay, now, I wasn't here 2,000 years ago. I'm part of the kingdoms and the nations that needed a wit- need a witness. Well, I wasn't born yet, Okay. Uh, God has foreordained a certain amount of time for this era that we live in, for his creation. And, and until that time comes, that we, if we are his, okay, we should be preaching this gospel of the kingdom, as he says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. That's why I do it. Right. You know? Because it's a witness for unto all nations. And I know that people all over the world listen to my broadcast and have heard me, you know, I don't know how many. Like I said, the results are God's. I don't worry about that. I just, uh, I just obey because it's my honor and privilege to uh, work for the greatest boss in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the reason I bring that up is because there's a lot of organizations out there, religious groups and sects, who... Uh, are obsessed about this in particular. They do they kind of make sure that uh, they're, they have their missionaries and their churches in every country in the world. And once that happens, then the Lord's going to come. And I, I personally find that that seems, well, that it is a, a red herring. It has nothing to do with actual borders of countries, you know, that are written up and redrawn every, what, couple centuries after every war or whatever, you know, it's just so many factors. It has nothing to do with uh, geographical borders, but it has to do with God's, God's children, God's people. Yeah. people of his, well, his, you know, it's all good. Let everyone do what they believe that God is calling them to do. Right. I understand that. It's not, but the, I guess the point is that the expectation that once someone has a church in every country, that somehow the Lord is going to come and I just wonder if that's really the issue. That's all. <laughs> well, we could talk about that. I've got a couple chapters in my book that address uh, those type of issues. I have a I have a chapter called "What Year Is It?" I don't know if you got there yet. Uh, no, I haven't got to, as far as the book, but I I have uh, li- listened to the uh, video, uh, which is you know, it's a. Uh, I had a video on that. I think it is what it is. You're talking about, uh, we're talking about uh, like uh, the 35 years from now, the... Oh, okay, that's an old one, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, I found a seven-year error in my uh, computation. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's in the, the the latest is in the book. I don't think I have that video up anymore. I meant to take all those down and put the right one up. But anyway, it's a chapter in my book. It's also there's a present a booklet on my website uh, called What Year Is It? So and if, I think if you put What Year Is It? Those specific uh, titles into uh, any search engine, you'll find me. Uh-huh. But, uh, what I found was that um, you know. First of all, I would preface by saying this, that God told Israel, his nation on earth, to the year what day Jesus was going to show up on the scene the first time. Did you know that? Uh, uh, Say that again. You're talking about Daniel's 70th week, and you're talking about... Yeah, Yeah, he says, from the going forth of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or 69 weeks, or 483 years, until Messiah the Prince, that's what it says, meaning Jesus was going to show up on the scene. That's why these guys, you know, that were, were looking for the Messiah at that time, because they knew how many years it had been. Daniel's prophecy was given, and they watched it happen, just as he said, uh, that the temple was rebuilt, and then the city and the wall it was all rebuilt in the temple. Everything was rebuilt in, in the first seven weeks or 49 years. And then it said the six, seven plus 62 weeks. Uh, so that's 69 weeks or 483 years. Because when, you, when they said week in the prophecy, it would be kind of like we use when we compute Roman time, we say a decade is 10 years. Well, right. they did a week as seven years. So it was 69 weeks unto Messiah. And guess what? Jesus showed up right on time. Now, I don't think they knew the day or the hour that he was going to show up either, but they knew what year, so they were looking for him. Oh, yeah. And, and so I believe, and, and I, this is what I expose in this chapter in my book, that God gave us a timeline, and it's in the Bible, and I give everyone chapter and verse so they can look it up and see it, that it is plainly there in the Scripture a timeline to the year, approximately, that Jesus will return. And I've determined, you know, that that year is about 2055. Right. And that, that I don't know be... the day or the hour. No, and you don't. <laughs> 2055 is a Roman year, okay? Right. So they didn't have Roman years back then. You know, the, the Jews kept their own calendar, the one that... God gave them in the wilderness. So we have a totally different calendar. The year actually uh, that um, God gave the children of Israel in the wilderness, the year starts in the spring, of course. Uh-huh. You knew that, right? Yes. He said, this shall be the beginning of months to you, the beginning of the year, in other words. And uh, that's evident still today to anyone. Uh, everyone already knows this, even if they don't know that they know it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when spring starts, and you know. No, no, okay. Uh, What month is this? Oh, January. What's the month before January? Well, December. What does December mean? Uh, Ten. Yeah, it means tenth month. Right. What's the month before December? November. (laughs) What does November mean? Ninth month, right. How about October? What does that mean? Well, that's obviously eight. (laughs) Uh, How about September? Uh, 7th. Okay. September, October, November, December means 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th month. What's going on here? 
Does that mean that the 11th and 12th months follow <laughs> December or originally did, but somebody changed it? <laughs> so the beginning of the year is, should be March. Well, actually, it's not March, but it's Abib, and it's in the spring. Yeah. And all of the months were regulated by the moon from which the word month is derived. I don't have that as a chapter, but I do have a, uh, a posting on my website called What Month Is It? So if anyone wants to know about that. But that's just kind of fun kind of study. You know, oh, yeah. But the what year is it is pretty serious because if we know Jesus is coming in 40 years, you know, my only question is, can I live that long? <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm hoping that I can, although I, I'm not sure I can make it. So. I don't know. You seem like a pretty healthy man, so I don't know. Well, about yeah, you. <laughs> I feel pretty healthy, but, you know, not many people live to be 102. So no. for another 40 years, I have to be 102. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see if you're still game for a few more questions here. Yeah, I'm game for it. Let's go. Okay. Um, uh, let's go to 2424. Well, we talked about that number earlier before the show. Um, uh, okay, so he says here, you know, for there uh, shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and great wonders. Now, a lot of folks are going to ask the question, and including myself. Well, uh, read the whole what, sentence. Okay. Uh, for there shall shall rise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. So the important question in there what naturally a person was going to look at is what are these great signs and great wonders? Okay. Uh, Great, mega, big. They're big signs and, uh, and wonders. In so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Okay, so what it means is that these signs and wonders, that these false Christs and false prophets are going to show, might possibly deceive the very elect. Okay? So they have to be great enough to deceive the elect. That's what it's saying that if it were possible, they deceive the very elect. So we see how big they are. Now, this is something, there were false Christs in Jesus' day. There were false Christs that arose before Jesus. Okay? True, true. Yep. Okay? Because they were looking to fulfill the Daniel prophecy. There were probably some people that, that really thought they were the Messiah. You know? And... There are people out there right now I've heard of and that think they are Jesus today. So, you know, this has been going on for 2,000 years. But you know what? When I see this, you know what it makes me think of? The great signs and wonders that could even deceive the elect. Because I have a lot of friends that I know they're elect, but they believe in a deception. And it's a last day's deception. It's a great delusion that has overtaken the entire, almost the entire evangelical world, Christian world. And that is the futurist 
counter-reformation left-behind eschatology that even the elect, but you know what? The elect are waking up. I'm one of them. I've woken up. And some of them are going to wake up at the last minute when the third rapture doesn't happen, when the post-tribulation rapture doesn't happen, and they're going to, their eyes will finally be opened then. But by that time, all of the elect will be wide awake. So many are still have their eyes blinded by this great delusion that, it, I mean, and this, this one is, is so complete. I mean, they purposely rebuilt, you know, and established Israel. Mm-hmm. Sure and did. they got the thing going on in Jerusalem. They're going to get this temple building going. But see, that's a problem for them. But not really. Because when they start to build the temple, that's supposed to be when the pre-tribulation rapture takes place. Because they're going to have a treaty to build the temple that kicks off the seven-year tribulation. Right? But nobody's going to be raptured. But how convenient. They'll all just, they've got two other raptures to move to. So when it's not, they're going to go, well, I guess it's not pre-trib, you know. Uh, We started building the temple three months ago and we're not gone yet. Must be mid-trib. How convenient. I mean, Satan is so clever. I mean, this is such a beautiful delusion. You know, this deception is, is so beautiful when you look at it and you examine it, how intricate it is, how there's even a fallback, two fallback positions when the first rapture doesn't take place. It's true. By the, by the end of the thing, what is the Antichrist going to say? He's going to say, see, I told you there was no rapture, right? <laughs> well, you get to go to heaven when you die. Jesus is not coming back. We are supposed to establish God's kingdom on earth, and I am his vicar. <laughs> Do you see how beautiful that is? Well, not only that, it's going to destroy an awful lot of faith, what little faith they have. And well, that's have, going to sort out the wheat from the chaff real quick. Yeah, it's going to. What's interesting, this, 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 I'm going to ask, as I ask a couple more questions, this is going to lead up to what I think you're, well, I know what you're suggesting here. And uh, if you look at uh, verse 26, uh, verse 26 talks about the secret chambers. What is a secret chamber? Yeah, you have any idea? Well, I think what Jesus is saying is that he's going to meet you right where you're at. You don't have to go to see this guy or that guy. There's a lot of old teachers out there, especially today within the, with the emerging church movement. You have to go see this guy and, or get this healing over there. Uh, he says, don't go to the desert. Don't go to the secret chambers. Believe it not. Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. You don't have to go anywhere. I mean, that's, that's what I get out of it. So as far as the secret chambers, you know, that could be a reference to things like, you know, a lot of these exclusive religions where only they have it or, you know, even Masonic lodges or whatever, wherever they have secret things. Yeah, yeah, it could be, yeah. Um, and then uh, 20, 28... This has always baffled everybody, including myself. Um, and this is for where the carcass is, there 
will the eagles be gathered together? Uh, is, is there like a symbolic reference to something going on here as far okay, as... They... Well, this wouldn't be an eagle. I mean, this would absolutely have to be a vulture. Right. Those <laughs> eagles only eat fresh kill that they kill. Uh, but now vultures will gather. I mean, you know, I see it all. You know, I live out in the foothills here, and if there's a dead something, you're going to see the, the, the uh, vultures uh, hovering above. But this is just another thing like, you know, when when the sky is red in the morning, you know, you know that the weather's going to be bad. When the red sky at night, you know it's going to be beautiful and clear. Right. So it's just another one of those things saying when you see these things, you know, that you will know that what I'm saying is going to happen, that it's time. And this, there's really... Not a, I mean, people try to make this say something else by conjecture that is not in the text. And when they do that, they can make it say whatever they want and say, well, the, the carcass refers to one thing and the eagles, you know, refer to another thing. But I don't go that far. I don't take that liberty with God's word. Sure, I understand that. Well, it's probably what the next question is going to be. It'd probably be, a guilt, I'll be guilty of this, <laughs> but I'm going to go... Okay. Of uh, 24 through uh, 28 minus verse 27, is there any possibility that Jesus was talking about Rome, the last empire, the, you know, the last uh, that we would be dealing with? What verse are we in now? Uh, verses 24, 25, 26, and 28. If you look at all of them, could any of that be possibly about the Roman Catholic Church or the Roman Holy Roman Empire? or, you know, the Roman Empire that we are dealing with. Well, yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're, they're part of the false Christ. You have to go to their church. Right. You have to, you know, be accept the Pope. You have to take the, the you know, the Jesus cookie, their Jesus cookie. Yeah, um, yeah that, that definitely applies. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of God's people are in this church. Otherwise, he wouldn't call them out and say, come out of her, my people. Right. That's in the Revelation. But yeah, that definitely covers the 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 universal, the Catholic, you know, church. I just yeah, you know, I look at that. Of course, I, you with know, the the eyes that I have now, and it's like it's like, I wonder if he's talking about the Roman Catholic Church there. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> well, <they're laughs> you know, and of course, all it's, it's daughter churches as well. You can't just you know pick an eye in itself, but uh, you know we. When I see eagle, it reminds me of the Roman Empire and and, and the carcasses. You know, if you did, you go back to Revelations 18. Um, you know, it's uh, 18:24. You know, it's talking about you know this organization. I mean, you know, we're just talking about them. Well, um, wherever wherever the dead thing is, there the unclean birds will be gathered. Sounds right. good to me. Yeah, and then you, at 24, it's like, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any connection to it or not. I don't know. I just brought it up. Yeah, um, well, that, that sounds like the Roman Empire and, and uh, the Holy Roman Empire to me, all wrapped up and rolled up together. Now the final question I want to ask you about this, and I'm, I, I, uh, I really appreciate Nicholas your patience. And I know that some of these questions might seem childish, but you know I, I wrestle with them 
as a, as a new Christian, and I've seen others, you know, that have been Christians for 30 years, wrestling with these same questions, is why I bring them up. Um, and some of them actually are people that ask me to ask and that kind of thing. So, um, But the final one has to be about the, the days of Noah. And you know we had to deal with this. Ah. And, and then Nephilim. And this whole right. Nephilim nonsense that is polluting the church. And, you know, we have all this this fable about the Nephilims and the days of Noah and how people are just being led down one fable or chasing one fable after another. And I really think that we should address this. And you, uh, well, I'd like to have you address it at least. Um, well, there's a whole other broadcast. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Well, I've got two chapters in my book on Nephilim nonsense and as it was in the days of Noah. Right. Uh, people should get the book. Like I said, it's free. No excuse for not getting it and reading it. Well, I'm hoping that you will come back on the show and be willing to, to go. I, I absolutely will, my friend. Uh, but, you know, maybe we could just end the show by just addressing that for now, shortly, briefly. You know, this whole thing, this nonsense has been going on. I mean, there's so many books out there, so many videos. It's just, we're being. Yeah, it's kind of like. All, why are we being flooded with it? it it's kind of like the left behind, but it's another distraction that goes off into, goes nowhere, basically, uh, or it gets people's expectations to expect those things. Is this just like but, Satan's way of keeping people from reading the Bible? Yeah, and it's, it's also uh, Satan's way, or way of attributing supernatural powers to Satan that he doesn't have, have uh, that are equal to the powers of God. But, you know, in my book, I overthrow the entire thing using the word of God. That's where the answer is. It's in his word. And we just have to know how to read it. And uh, like I said, I overthrow the whole thing. And if you don't believe me, you know, like I said, if anyone doesn't believe that it's overthrown by God's word itself, the whole Nephilim nonsense, uh, it's, it's all there. I, I document it all, and you can check it out for yourself. Either that or God's word isn't true. But I found that God's word does not contradict itself that a lot of people by conjecture and uh, with, uh, you know, assumptions uh, make the Bible say what they want to say. I even talked to, what's the guy who wrote, wrote a lot of these uh, Nephilim books? Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, not Quail. No. Uh, um, uh, Marsili or... Uh... Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> I but anyway, I talked to him. And and, and uh, I asked him uh, about it, and he said that uh, there there was no way. And I forget his exact words, but it'll come back to me someday. Uh, but he said that he could he he could not affirm that there was any truth to the nephilim that was anything other than conjecture. Okay, and then. So why is he doing it? They have to make block of gas. I mean, he's making good money. Is, is, is this man really a a believer in, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? <laughs> How could you be a believer and do that? How could you be a true follower? I don't know. I can't answer that question. You know, except to say that uh, he's deceived by the riches that he's uh, he's getting. From that, because you know, I used to believe it too, because that's what I was taught. Sure. And so, what you, if you get hooked into these things, um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of things that, you know, I believed and I thought, well, I could write about this or I could take advantage of this. It was like the Howell 501c3 going totally off topic here. <laughs> That's okay. It's all right. In, in, in the 1980s, end of 1980s, I, you know, I felt the call to ministry, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to set me up. I was advised to go ahead. The first thing I should do is set up a not-for-profit, right? Uh-huh. And uh, here, talk to this lawyer to help you out. Well, I didn't talk to the lawyer. I was kind of a do-it-yourself kind of guy. So I wrote to NOLO Press, and I got their, their book on how to set up a do-it-yourself not-for-profit corporation. And I started reading this book, and I had enough knowledge in God's Word that when I read it, I thought, I can't do this. This would be against God's Word. I can't get God's people to give me money for a ministry and then sign the whole thing over to, to you know, to Rome, uh, to Caesar, the state, and right. be under them. They would be like an intermediate God between me and the Almighty, if they owned my ministry. And I thought, well, there's no way I could do that. And so I didn't do it. But uh-huh. most people, I think, they just they get hooked into something. And so I didn't go along with it. Now, if I had the money or someone put up the money and hired the lawyer, I'd have let the lawyer worry about it. Next thing you know, I'd be in my own 501c3 corporation, and the bucks would be rolling in from the tax to, tax deductible donations. And, and once you're you're caught in this web, it's hard to get out. Denial plays and all these temptations that come with it. And I think that's where a lot of these people are in the left behind thing and scheme of things. You know, my prayer is that people like Timothy LaHaye and Jenkins and and, uh, what's his name, Um, the the or whatever his name is, uh, the Nephilim guy, is that they're caught up in this thing and then perhaps they are genuinely deceived or they are deceivers. And see, the scripture says that I'm to believe the best, so I have to believe that they're genuinely deceived. Well, you're a better man than me. They're intentionally deceiving others. And for that, man, you know, Jesus said about that, he said it would be better if a pillstone was hung about their neck and they'd be tossed into the sea. It would be better that they were never born if they are intentionally deceiving God's people or these little ones. Well, the problem, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of good storytellers out there and snake snake oil salesmen and... uh, you know, they're really good at smelling blood and smelling bucks. And um, I can't, you know, like you said, we, is that the, is that who he is? I, I, I don't know. But um, there's yeah. sure, I'll tell you one thing, there's, for, there's very little scripture. To, they'll have, you know, a 200-page book, and there might be a half a dozen scriptures, and the rest of it is just storytelling. So I don't know what to say, folks, but... Uh, well, look yeah. on the back cover for the genre of the book, and it says fiction. Pay attention, okay? Read your Bible. It is not fiction. It is God's Word, and God gave it to us because he loves us. Yeah. So uh, let me close by uh, giving everyone my information then, uh, Michael. Okay. Uh, go to my website, crosstheborder.org. Get my book. It's free. Uh, it's called The Rapture Will Be Canceled. And if you think I'm wrong, I especially want you to read my book. It's uh, only 100 and 
20 measly little pages. Uh, you should be able to handle that, and you can attempt to overthrow me using God's word without conjecture. That's all I ask. And more important than all of these arguments is the kingdom of God. Yep. It's at hand. Make sure you're walking in his kingdom, crucifying the deeds of the flesh. That's my prayer for everyone. Okay. And, and uh, also, you, he also uh, uh, Nicholas also has a YouTube channel, uh, Prophecy Reality. Prophecy Reality, correct. And uh, he's got a lot of great videos to uh, watch and don't don't forget to mention the the radio show. Oh yes, uh, 9 a.m. at FirstAmendmentRadio.net uh, every day. I go through the Bible four days a week. Wednesday, I turn on the studio cam. I open the phone lines, have the chat room on, and we talk about prophecy, reality, uh, take calls, uh, answer questions, or whatever anyone wants to do. That's every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. But the most important thing is to get a circumspect view of God's Word. Love it. Love God's Word. Eat it up. Devour it. Make it part of your life. And uh, make, you know, that way you know you're walking in His kingdom and you don't miss out on the prize. Yes. And Nicholas, thank you very much for sharing your evening with me. You didn't have to, and I really appreciate it. And uh, my prayer is that this will make a difference in others' lives and they'll have a better understanding of Matthew 24, and I think it's a very important understanding and uh, lesson. So, with that, folks, I'm going to end it for the evening. Thank you for those who join in. And uh, if you'd stay on, Nicholas, I'm just going to end the show. Okay, well, it's been my pleasure and my honor. Okay, thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.